This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 125 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equestrian Collections and Horseshow.com. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford. Welcome to another episode of the Dressage Radio Show, where this week the dressage competition gets underway in Guadalajara, Mexico, as part of the Pan American Games competition. So good luck to everyone down there. We look forward to following that competition through the weekend into early next week and, of course, bringing you the results here on the Dressage Radio Show. But for this week, I have two guests with me, one of which is someone that you have suggested as part of our great partnership series, and that is Anki van Grunsven and Bonfire. So we're going to hear from Anki a little bit later on in the show when she's going to share with us her memories of that great partnership. And also David Blake is going to be joining me shortly. David Blake is based at Stefan and Shannon Peters in California, and David was making his debut at the Gladstone Festival of Champions just a few weeks ago. So we're going to hear more about David and his business over there and his aspirations. So all that to come on this week's show. But before we bring on our first guest here this week, I want to remind you of one of our sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, and that is Equestrian Collections. The full season is well upon us now, and it's time to start thinking about your horse's blanket again, Perhaps it's time for a new one. Well, Equestrian Collections has an extensive range of blankets for all weather conditions, from the popular horsewear choices of Amigo, Rhino and Rambo models for turning your horse out. When it gets colder, your horse will be ready with a brand new blanket from Equestrian Collections. And if you use coupon code HRN at the checkout, you'll get a further $10 off your next order of $100 or more. That's all at EquestrianCollections.com. And Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, as I said, my first guest, David Blake, made his debut at the Gladstone USEF Dressage Festivals just a few weeks ago, made his way across the country from his base in California, where he's uh, with Shannon and uh, Stefan Peters and has been based there for a little while. David made an early impression with his partner, Lord Albert. Their plan when they came over here was to finish in the top 10. Well, they achieved that, finishing in ninth place overall. So I thought it would be interesting to get to know more about this rising talent in U.S. dressage. David is assisted by his wife, Andrea, who runs the business over in San Diego, California. So let's find out more about David Blake Dressage. Well, hi, David. Welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thank you for having me. You really came to prominence this year, really caught people's attentions when you made your debut at Gladstone uh, for the Festival of Champions. Making your debut in the CDI world, how does that feel? Oh, it feels great. I've been waiting to do that for a long time. Well, we should explain that you're based on the West Coast, so naturally most of your competing has been done on the West Coast, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about where you are, because I think you're based with a rider that a few of our listeners around the world may have heard of, and how you got to uh, being based there and what your your arrangements are, David, in uh, California. 
Um, yeah, so we're based at uh, Stefan's place, Stefan Peter's place, Arroyo del Mar. Um, I've been riding with Stefan for a few years now. Um started riding with him when I did the six-year-old with my gray horse catapult. And I uh, was just taking lessons from him periodically. And one day came to take a lesson, got done, and uh, him and Shannon walked up to me and said, would you like to move in? And that was a fairly easy decision. So a month later, I moved the whole operation to San Diego from Los Angeles. Well, you were in, in, in Los Angeles. So uh, you, you were familiar with California. It wasn't too big a move for you. Exactly. Exactly. It was definitely worth it. We kind of just started over again. Had a pretty good business in L.A. and then came down with, uh, I think, about three horses and started all over again. Well, it obviously works for you then. And uh, you, you, as as assistant trainer, do you actually work with some of Stefan's clients then? Is it part of a, a team, Team Peter's? that you're involved with? Um, we're definitely a, a team, but I have my own business at his place. So we're, we're separate in that respect. Um, you know, and he helps me and with my riding, and I bring horses into the barn to fill up his barn. That's kind of our arrangement. Works pretty well for me. Well, let's uh, go back a little bit, David, and uh, tell our listeners your story because you came from Europe, didn't you, originally? Where, where did it all begin when, and where did the riding start? The riding started in France when I was pretty small, maybe five, six. Uh, my mom always rode and we'd go to a manège, which, you know, it's kind of nose-to-tail riding. Uh, but that's where I started. And then... Uh, when we moved to America, we moved to central Illinois and got pretty serious after that and started showing a lot and did some jumpers to start. But then my mom bought a a young Hanoverian, bucked her off every day, so I got to ride him and couldn't jump him, so I started doing dressage with him since he moved so well. That's how I got into it. Well, let's go back to France. Were you were you born there? What's what's the um, nationality then? Are you French American? Uh, and, and tell us about your your parents' involvement with horses too. Yeah, so um, moved to my parents moved to France. I think uh, early seventies, um, and uh, I was born there in Paris. We lived there till I was about 12, but we went back and forth. My mom is a professor, and she would spend six months in America and a year in France. Um, that's kind of how I grew up, and we always had horses. She rode, and we uh, she kept her horse in Montana at her sister's, and we'd go there for the summer sometimes and ride. So we're always involved in horses, taking lessons at different barns and things like that. Then, um, then it became more serious for me. And you said you began with with jumping. That was the very early days, was it? So, what made the conversion to dressage, David? And, and what sort of age were you when you made that switch? Uh, I think I was about thirteen, maybe thirteen, fourteen, and it was really just that horse um, was a young and varian and. Yeah, you know, I was 13, so probably 
not the most skilled rider in the world, and I couldn't get him to jump, but he moved so well that I took him to a dressage show, and he did so well that I thought, oh, well, I'll just ride dressage then, and kind of took off from there. Who were your early influences then in equestrian sport, David? Uh, well, definitely when I was a kid, I'd love to to watch Stefan and Gunter and the, the guys that were really, really good, you know. Those were my idols. Um, and, of course, watching the, the videos of Klaus and, um, you know, all the guys that were really, really the top-notch. Those were my idols when I was younger. And so the influence uh, towards dressage then, was it was a natural move for you to get to California. Was it when you came back from Europe? Was, was that something that you did as part of your equestrian and riding career? Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, basically making the decision after high school, should I move to Florida and find somebody to ride with, or should I move to California and find somebody to ride with? And I decided... California. There was no real rhyme or reason. So obviously settled, settling in, in California was easy then, and you started your own business, which has now migrated to uh, St- Shannon and Stephen Peters' facility. So tell us about the horses. I mentioned in my introduction, obviously, the horse that you were so successful with at Gladstone, Lord Albert. How did you come across him? What's, this, what's his story? That uh, comes back full circle to Arroyo, um, where Stefan Shannon trained out of. They called me when the horse was four um, late in the year and said, we have this horse. Um, He's not very obedient, to say the least. He's dumping riders. And um, the owner unfortunately had made the decision she was going to put him down because he couldn't really be ridden. Um, And they decided maybe one last chance if I'd like to come and try the horse, see if I liked him and uh, that I would maybe purchase him. And uh, it sounds a little silly, but I rode him once and said, yeah, I'll buy him because I thought he was pretty cute. And my business was full of horses like that at the time. As a young trainer, that's what I did. I just rode those horses that nobody else wanted to ride. And uh, that little Albert horse got pretty good in about six months and uh, won the five-year-olds, uh, the West Coast Regionals, and qualified for Fairden, the World Breeding Championships. And uh, we took him there. It wasn't the most successful trip because when I was leading him in hand, he ran off with me and as a young trainer, I didn't let go at the time and broke my shoulder, but still rode him, still did reasonably well. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a successful trip, but could have been better. And the horse is now really sweet and really easy. And we all laugh at how difficult he was when he was five. That's the story of Albert. And and how old is he now? Now he's uh, nine and uh, schooling most of the Grand Prix. Obviously coming to the peak of his career then. So what's the schedule look like for him, David? And and, and tell us about his breeding too. Uh, So breeding London Dairy Brentano 2. He was an approved stallion, but of course 
was gelded because because uh, he was not obedient enough. Um, and the plan for him is to to get him comfortably doing the Grand Prix. It's pretty green right now, and hopefully, um, you know, maybe just bring him out open Grand Prix next year, probably you know in the middle of the season to give him plenty of time. But we'll see how he progresses. I don't like to to push that horse at all. Everything nice and easy, and he usually takes his time and comes up pretty good. So will you continue to focus your competitions uh, over on the West Coast, or do you have any plans to also compete in Florida this winter, David? I would really like to to compete in Florida. We have a, a new stallion that was purchased by uh, Willard and uh, Teresa, uh, clients of ours, Simmons, and they'd like us to bring him to Florida, which I may also then... Uh, bring Albert and and her horse and see if we can compete. It all depends on, on how the stallion does at the first few shows and and see if we want to put him in the CDIs at small tour pre St. George I one and see how Albert progresses. But to start we're gonna start in California and then maybe March, April, see if we wanna bring the horses to Florida and do that circuit as well. I've always wanted to do that. And tell us about the other horses that you have then. How many do you have currently in work and competing, David? Uh, at the moment, we have 10. Nice nice round number. Uh, three stallions. The uh, the new one, his name is Royal Prince. It's uh, with a Z. And um, he's 10 years old, schooling pre-St. George I-1. Pretty talented horse. I'm really excited about him. He's brand new. I've only had him maybe a month and a half. Um, we have another 10-year-old stallion named Sanyol that just came in. It's a Sandro Hitz-Holsteiner. Um, also schooling Christian George I-1. Looks pretty promising, but I've only had him for a week, so not sure um, how he's going to be in the arena, but we'll see. And then, uh, of course, we have Falsterbo, who's a 14-year-old Hanoverian stallion, feeder mark, Brentano 2. He's uh, currently schooling all the Grand Prix, so I'm going to bring him out at Grand Prix. Probably just open for that horse and see how he does. Um, then, of course, there's Albert and uh, waiting for my 11-year-old Holsteiner to recover from an injury and see if I can put him in the Grand Prix CDIs at the end of the season, see if we have enough time for the qualifiers or not. Uh, we have another young horse that is just kind of blossoming, was a real big, gangly-looking four-year-old, and uh, now he's getting pretty good. So he may do the, the FEI five-year-olds. We'll see. Um, all depends on how he matures, but he's doing all of it now, so we'll see if he can manage to to do that next year. Um and then I believe that is it for now, which is plenty on our books right now. <laughs> there seems to be a leaning towards some stallions there. Is that your preference? Do you like riding stallions, David? I do. You know, it's something that I always, as a younger trainer, thought, you know, that would be really interesting to see how stallions are. And I, I now get along with them very well and 
and like managing the stallions, and I like the breeding a lot. And it seems like, you know, the stallions appreciate a, a male rider who, you know, stays patient and doesn't get frustrated when they act like stallions. You know, it's something I learned early on from Stefan. He says he's a stallion, he can't help it. And I really like that line, you know. So whatever they do, I just sit there and wait. And, you know, they can be a lot of fun. And uh, the big thing for me is... You know, they're like a really fine sports car. They're the, the top athlete that look the best. And that's, I mean, it's a little bit silly, but everybody jokes that as long as they're really good looking, David will ride it, you know. So <laughs> I, I have fun with them. I really like the stallions, love to look at them, love the breeding. And it's, it's working out well. I'm, I am definitely leaning towards the stallions at the moment. So you mentioned breeding there. So there, are these working stallions already in, or also in a breeding program with you, David? Yes. Yes. Um, Royal Prince has not started breeding with us, but Sanyol has been breeding, and we're going to be collecting him this year. Fosterbo we collected last year a fair amount, um, and Royal Prince is going to start as soon as, as we bring him out and advertise him a little bit. So that's that's something we're just starting to get into, which I'm really excited about. And you mentioned that you have a full training facility there, your own business. How much of your day then is represented by teaching your clients uh, as opposed to schooling your own competition horses? Uh, the day is broken up. Uh, it's very little teaching at the moment. It kind of goes up and down. But uh, I ride the horses in the morning. The, the program is always 6.45, first horse. And we just kind of go through them all morning. And then I start teaching um, at about noon. And right now I only have two clients that I teach. Um, my assistant, I teach on some of the horses. And so it's a nice program, you know. It's, it's a little bit laid back like we like to do it here and not too many horses that we can really concentrate on them. A typical California lifestyle, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get uh, uh, some help, does that or, or, or always come from Stefan, or, or does Shannon always also help you? Shannon also helps me, yeah. yeah. She's a real stickler with the position, you know, and she's really helped me become a little bit uh, prettier in the saddle. And then Stefan helps me, you know, with the horse, with the, with the technical aspect. It's a really nice team. It's really, I mean, it's perfect for me. You know, I couldn't ask for a better training program for me. Well, clearly you're a young man with ambition now, breaking into the CDI world. Where do you hope this will eventually lead? Is it a given that you want to become a member of the, of the team and ride alongside Stefan one day on the American team? Absolutely. That's, that's been the goal for a long time. I decided that when I was about 16 um, and really hope to get there. It's it's the only thing I think about really. You know, the, the business is just a forum to get me there if I can. Well, as you said, you, you're living the California lifestyle, but a little bit laid, little bit laid back as well, even though you're a busy man with, your, with all the horses that you have. What, what does David Blake do for fun? Do you drive fast cars? 
He does not. Dave Blake calls <laughs> Gunter Seidel, and they go surfing all afternoon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's what we do for fun. Yeah, pretty, pretty dedicated surfer, trying to get better, but it's very difficult sport. And you're making sure Gunter stays upright too. Oh yeah, Good. yeah. He he challenges me every day. <laughs> Hard to keep up with that guy. <laughs> Well, it sounds like uh, life is being very kind to you right now, David. Absolutely. Couldn't ask for anything more. Terrific. Well, we'll probably see you back here on the East Coast in the f near future for some more CDIs and heading towards Gladstone and that team training headquarters. I'm sure that's on your constantly on your horizon, isn't it? Absolutely. All right, David. Well, the very best of luck uh, with your career. We uh, hopefully, you'll, hopefully, you'll come back on the show any time and give us an update on how things are going, and we'll follow you with interest. And hopefully, the dream will come true one day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, my next guest hardly needs any introduction from me, and she's going to be telling us about that very special partnership that she had with Bonfire as part of our great partnership series in just a second. But first of all, I want to remind you about Horseshow.com, one of our sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, because the Fall Dressage Festival, which opened its entries for U.S. Equestrian Federation tests from training through fourth level, tests one to three for all levels, is at Horseshow.com, and they're judged by Natalie Lamping, an FEI and USEFS licensed judge. Judging closes on October 16th, so you have just a few more days, and all you have to do is submit your home video to enter a class and receive a confidential scorecard with marks and comments from the judge for each movement in the test that only you can view. It's as easy as that, and you don't have to leave home. You can enter at any time by visiting the website at horseshow.com and following the link to the Fall Dressage Festival. Our thanks to our sponsors, horseshow.com. Please visit them online, horseshow.com. Well, as I said, my next guest hardly needs any introduction from me. She has achieved absolutely everything there is to achieve in the dressage world with her remarkable partner, Bonfire, who is enjoying a very happy retirement at their home in the Netherlands. And I caught up with Anki just recently to share some memories of that wonderful partnership that she had with him. Well, hi, Anki. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, Hi. Nice to have you back on the show. And this time we're going to talk about, I think as a horse, it has a very special place in your heart as part of our great partnership series, Bonfire, no less. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been very special for me. I, uh, I have him since he's two and a half. And uh, he was under the saddle for, I think, two or three weeks. And then uh, we brought him home and I thought, wow, this is a, an amazing horse. And, uh, okay, at the end, he was an amazing horse, but we didn't have an easy start either. Well, let's go back to the very beginning, Anki. You said you got him when he was just over two years old, so very, very young. Where did you find him, and were you actually just looking now for potential Grand Prix horses at the time? No, we were definitely not looking for... Uh, uh, yeah, we were looking for a young horse because, um, yeah, I was still in school, and actually I didn't have time. So, yeah... Actually, I didn't. My father thought I didn't need a new horse because I already had two. But then we met Bonfire, and he was at the dealer's uh, place. And we both, my father and I, we thought, wow, this is the horse. This one is 
yeah, the one we need. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, yeah, the second time we went back to watch him, our feeling was even stronger about it. And uh, so then my father decided to, to buy him. Well, of course, he's an Olden, Oldenburg uh, gelding. And he's just what he was foaled in 1983, so he's 28 already. I mean, yeah. an amazing story which we're going to tell. But at that time, when he was such a young horse, it's very hard to spot, you know, a Grand Prix talent when they're so young. But what what was special about him? Why did you fall in love with him? Yeah, okay. His bad, his walk was bad, and his neck was not nice. But my father and I, we thought, okay, he's young and there's a lot of thoroughbred in, so he will be uh, older and more quiet, and uh, then the walk will get better and the neck will be uh, nicer. And um, he had an extremely uh, powerful leg. Yeah, and the way he trotted and cantered, yeah, we were really impressed by it. And um, okay, when he got three and four, it wasn't always easy because he. So, uh, yeah, a lot of energy and not always in the right uh, balance on it. But, uh, yeah, the older he got, the better it it worked out. So what kind of a ride was he? You said he wasn't necessarily easy as a young horse to to train. What kind of personality? um, Yeah, he was very uh, overactive. And, uh, yeah, he's always been stable active as well but he was scared of everything when we got him and this was like that as well like we were laughing like when a mouse is sneezing he uh, he will <laughs> he will be afraid of it and um so that was difficult because uh, yeah we took him to a lot of uh, national competitions and uh, that he really got used to flags and tents and stuff like that and like we would not even compete we would just sit on him and I would walk him and talk to people and chat with people so he could see uh, the environment and um, the older he got he knew when he was in the arena this is my safe spot but uh, outside of the arena he uh, saw a ghost behind all the bushes (laughs) so bonfire was a good name for him yeah, but I picked it myself as well, because when I saw him the first time, for me, he was really a bonfire. And uh, if I think of the story, how it all went, uh, yeah, it's it's the only name that was perfect for him. So He's been definitely a bonfire for me. <laughs> and obviously, having a horse that was so sensitive to competition, to perform in dressage, it must have been a big challenge. You went to shows to desensitize him. What was he like at home then? Did he still jump if a mouse sneezed in the barn? Yeah, he is not a brave horse, but on the other hand, he was uh, very willing to do his best. And always when things went wrong, it was always because he wanted to do too well. So you could never punish him. You always had to be quiet with him. You always, even when things went wrong for a hundred times, you had to redo them and stay calm. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, for me, that was, um, yeah, I really, he really had to trust me. Because otherwise, if uh, the the strongest bullfire and I, we have the strongest band of all the horses uh, I have and had. And I think uh, without that, he wouldn't have become so good because he really, really needed to trust me. Well, More than any other horse needs because all the other horses are, you know, they're brave enough by themselves. But he really needs to know that if I said it was good, it was good. Yes, absolutely. You developed an incredible bond there of trust, as you yeah. said. So he had the confidence in you that whatever you asked him to do, it was okay. He could do it. Yeah. 
So what yep. was he like to train then, Anki, when he got better and better at the movements and you got up to Grand Prix level, how did he, when he got fit, how, did he change in his temperament, the fitter he got? He uh, he never changed in his temperament, and I don't believe that horses change either, because uh, now if they bring him out in the field when he's 28 years old, he's massaging Piaf towards the field, <laughs> and uh, only after the day out he comes in, in walk back. But he has been, uh, okay, he was 17 when he won the Olympic Games in Sydney, and I rode him until he was 25, because he was so uh, full of energy and enjoyed uh, the work. And uh, I also think that is a reason that he could stay fit that long. Uh, obviously fit and obviously sound, a very sound horse. Yeah. What, what was he like in, in the stable with the groom? Was, it, was he a friendly person? Yeah, he's, he's really by himself. He's, he's not a horse that is uh, in front of the window uh, needs to be petted all the time. He, uh, he has his own, he takes his rest in the stable, and the moment you take him out, he's there to work. But he's not a social horse in the barn, but he's sweet. He's not, he's not biting, he's not kicking. He's a sweet horse, but he's not a horse like some horses have it head out of the window all day to get all the attention. He's not like that. Well, you, you mentioned the Sydney Olympics, of course, in 2000, winning the gold medal there and the Team Silver, at the highlight probably, but he did everything for you, Anki, didn't he? I mean, he won the European Championships, the, the World Equestrian Games, a gold medal, I mean, and, and, and of course, multiple World Cup wins as well. And yeah. not, to, not to mention, of course, the Dutch National Championships, he won, I think, nine, nine times win, won that. He did absolutely everything for you, this horse. How could you pick a career highlight or when he was at his best or when you enjoyed and realized the partnership was one of the best you would ever have? Okay, I had, uh, yeah, I, of course, yeah, I think Rome, uh, the World Championships, I didn't win. <laughs> that was one of the best competitions because we had three very good rides. And uh, I was really uh, happy about that. Uh, Sydney, the Grand Prix Special and the crew were uh, amazing. And for me, it was uh, a dream came true. Like, I knew it was my last competition. And I wanted to enjoy my last competition. And I enjoyed every second of it. And he was great. And, um, yeah, and then, the, you know, we even won. So that made it even better. But uh, I think Sydney still is the most special thing that happened to the both of us. Well, I was there watching you then, and it really was a very, very special occasion. And by then, of course, at the peak of his career, he couldn't do any yeah. more for you, could he? I mean, no, no. An, an incredible servant to you and a partner. And, and if you look at the competitions over the years with him, is there any moments that speak out, you know, that stand out to you and speak to you as really special bonfire moments? Yeah, I think um, I won the European Championships in Arnhem, and uh, he was, uh, in the beginning of the season, he was not fit, so uh, we started the season a bit later, and um, he, yeah, he, so he was out for a couple of weeks, and I think there he was um, not as fit as always, and I really, in the cure there, I had the feeling that he gave more than he could do at that moment. And uh, I really got very emotional on that because I thought uh, he's, he's tired and it was very hot. And he, uh, you know, he, he gave everything that was in, was in him. And after the test, I really felt it was, yeah, he, he gave me too much, I think. And uh, I didn't like that feeling because I thought, oh, maybe it's not fine now. And 
I, after that, he, everything was fine and worked out well. But it was a scary moment as well. I thought if a horse wants to do so much for you that he doesn't take care of himself, one way that's very nice. On the other hand, I thought, oh, make sure yeah, that I have to be careful on him, that he, uh, you know, he wants to give so much. And when we look at the, his scores over the years, um, the, the, the scores that you achieved with him up there in the 80s, was there any there that you felt, gosh, he deserved every one of those, he really was the best? Oh, for me, he was always the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you love your horse. You think, how could the other people think the other horse is better? Mine is always best. No, I always believed in him, and... Uh, and even if we didn't win, then I was, I, like, he, he always did everything he could for me, and he never wanted to make a mistake. And if he made a mistake, it was because he wanted to do too much. And then uh, you, you can only be proud to have a horse like that. Absolutely. Well, what is a, a typical day in the life of Bonfire now? He gets out in the field like uh, around 9 o'clock in the morning. He first gets feeded and he gets a little hay and a little food and then at 7 he goes out and he comes in, depends on the weather, but around 5 or when he thinks it's enough. And then he's in the barn in the evening and that's nice because he's, um, you know, he's close by with me. I can see him every day, all day when I'm here. And uh, I like that because I still, um, yeah, thinking about him, I still get very emotional thinking of what he all did for me. He certainly and did. I'm really happy that he's already in the field here for over ten years. That he, uh, you know, that he can. He worked. He did Grand Prix for ten years, and uh, now he's in the field for ten years. And we had this great uh, partnership, and we had this great life together. And I hope he can still enjoy it for a couple more years. Absolutely! What a wonderful, wonderful friend and a partnership you've had with him. And uh, I hope you long joy enjoy his retirement there, Anki. Thank you so much for sharing your me- memories of Bonfire with us. Yeah, I like to do that. <laughs> it's nice to talk about him. And I have several more great suggestions from you for this series, so keep those coming. You can post them on our Facebook fan page or send me an email at chris at horseradionetwork.com and I'll do everything I can to track down these great partnerships. Well, it's time now for our monthly update from the U.S. Dressage Federation. Well, Catherine Rothbinson joins me now from the U.S. Dressage Federation. Hi, Chris. Good to have you back again. What have you got in store for us this week? Well, today we're going to be talking with um, Scott Hassler. And, um, Scott, you have a ongoing series of articles in the USDF's Connection magazine that's titled Field to FEI. And in those articles, you cover everything from starting a young horse to laying the foundation for their future training. Can you tell us a little bit about what it takes to get a horse ready for the young horse classes? Um, sure, Kathy. We, you know, we now know that the young horse classes have really proven themselves and have become, you know, very competitive now. And our, higher, our horses coming out of the higher levels have come through the young horse program. But I think sometimes we forget the importance of from the breeders' hands to the young horse classes. There's a big transition. And I think we have so many areas here. We have the physical development of the horse. We have the maturity of, of the mental aspect of the horse, the riding qualities, which are self-explanatory, what those tests require. Um taking these horses out and getting them to basic horse shows first. For example, there's some great avenues where USDF has material classes and lower-level dressage tests. 
you know, there's some controversy over these in-hand classes for U.S. DFBC series and all these things. I personally believe there's a great benefit to those classes as well. We just get the horses to a show environment and mature their minds before expecting them to handle a show ring with a high-caliber test as a four-year-old. Um, you're going to be uh, presenting at our USDF symposium along with Ann Gribbins, Debbie McDonald, and Jeremy Steinberg, and you're going to be addressing the young horse aspect of, of some programs. What are you hoping to accomplish during our symposium? Yeah, during that symposium, I mean, first of all, I think what a great opportunity to have, you know, all four of the national coaches under, you know, under one roof working together. I think that's already good. My section is going to be mostly about demonstrating my piece of the pipeline, as we call it, that I pass the horses on to, let's say, you know, the four- to six-year-olds, what it takes to, to train them well, what it takes to, to have them be very competitive in the show arena, and also, even if they're not competing, what's important in the training scale that these horses have a chance for higher level sport, higher level than the young horse classes. As well as I think it really shows, this symposium really shows great cooperation between USEF and USDF. So I, I, I'm looking forward to the whole event. I think it's going to be wonderful. Well, we're looking forward to having you there also. Um, you can see and hear more about Scott's philosophies in training young horses by visiting eTrack, USDF's online learning center for dressage. And if you want more information about our symposium or to visit eTrack, you can go to our website at www.usdf.org. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. And back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you to Scott Plattler. And, of course, the USDF will be back next month with their regular segment here on the Dressage Radio Show. And I want to tell you now about a show that is being featured as part of our featured upcoming events, and that's taking place this weekend. The Deep South Dressage and Combined Training Association will be hosting the Great American Insurance Group U.S. Dressage Federation's Region 3 Dressage Championships on October 14th through 16th at the Hits Post Time Farm in Ocala, Florida. Please visit these regional championships to witness the outstanding efforts of top riders competing in their respective classes. These competitors have earned the right to be there by qualifying throughout the year at USDF-recognized competitions. Not only will dressage be represented at its best, but also many special events will be hosted during the championships as well. During Friday's lunch break, enjoy a demonstration in trichonometry. You don't have to imagine what a horse can do, just see it being performed right in front of your eyes. And you can also see a Western reigning demonstration and watch sheepdogs at work. And you can visit the world-renowned equine rehab facility at Kesmark for a wine and cheese gathering. And you can also try an educational ride on America, the first ever equine simulator. These are just a few of the events happening at the Regional 3 Championships in Ocala. You can log on to dsdcta.org for the full schedule. And you can get all your equine needs at a convenient one-stop shopping experience in the vendor row. The management team and many dedicated volunteers have been hard at work to make this a successful event for everyone. The competition judges include Kathleen Barboza, Paula Lacey, Natalie Lamping, Beverly Rogers, Marlene Schneider, William Solites and Janet Foy. So mark your calendar for this weekend and head along to the HITS Post Time Farm in Ocala, Florida for this fun-filled event. 
And once again, you can log on to the website, that's dsdcta.org, for more information. As you know, I always love to hear from you here on the show. And I've had a lovely email from Kathy McCarthy. She's actually in uh, England, in, uh, in Greenwich, actually, right at the site of the London Olympic Games next year. And she writes that she really enjoys the shows. She says, thank you very much for the dressage and eventing shows of the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's just the number of British names you've had on or the subject matter, but I've really enjoyed them. Having listened to the small portion of the helmet debate between Richard Davison and Wayne Channon, great guest, she says, by the way, getting to the heart of the sport, I was left thinking about one aspect which wasn't mentioned. You and they had some discussion about the FEI's proposal to allow over-18s riding older horses to make their own choice about whether to wear a helmet and about the role-modelling effect the top riders have on younger riders. While I agree with the idea of allowing adults to make their own choices rather than constraining them by rules about everything, there seems to have been no mention of the effect of tradition, culture and political correctness. What I mean is, for years, riders in the dressage arena have worn top hats or hunting caps. There has always been a focus on dressing correctly and traditionally. Wearing a helmet at a higher level show has always been seen as breaking the mould. I'm not sure if it has actually been against the rules, but certainly no one has been doing it. I think the deterrent effect of fitting in is probably strong enough to overrule even what appears to be common sense because it's such a long-held tradition. Perhaps the FEI needs to actually make a positive statement along the lines of, quote, wearing of helmets is recommended, unquote, followed by a statement allowing adults to make their own choice. I don't believe that the FEI should necessarily mandate helmets as for jumping disciplines. I do feel that while it remains completely optional, the majority of adults will not make the choice to wear a helmet, so we will be stuck with the status quo until the generation of riders who have all had to wear them from the start reaches international level. Perhaps you could have a discussion about the factors which would influence existing riders to change. Best wishes and congratulations again on a great set of shows. Catherine McCarthy. Catherine, so much for writing to, to me. And she follows that with a second email to say that in terms of what would be interesting to hear on the debate, the two people we had on were very much at the heart of running the sport. And it could be interesting to hear from competitors both old and young, particularly those who are aware of their public image and how they are seen as role models. Carl Hester comes to mind, and it could also be interesting to hear from event riders who probably tend to wear helmets much more in training and then replace them with a top hat at the dressage. A further thought occurs to me about how to make my point more simply. Tradition is already a deterrent to wearing a helmet in the dressage arena. A rule with a get-out clause feels like another push in the same direction. Perhaps we don't need a rule at all, but instead a positive statement such as the FEI advocates wearing a helmet wherever and whenever you are on a horse. However, it does not mandate the wearing of helmets, but, and again, the adding the age restrictions in there. So that's uh, the thoughts from Catherine. Um, I'm really pleased that she actually took the time to drop us an email and express her thoughts on this subject is of course a very interesting and controversial topic the wearing of helmets but as always would love to hear from you if you have any further thoughts on that we will uh, 
obviously consider Catherine's points and see how we can at, at least further dis- the discussion here on the show. So don't forget to d- send me your comments and uh, suggestions about this topic and anything that you hear on the Dressage Radio Show. Always love to hear from you, as always. Don't forget you can feature your show on our featured upcoming events. Just drop me an email and I'll tell you more about that. Don't forget to check out our Equestrian Legends show over at equestrianlegends.com. Send me your suggestions for great partnerships and any young reporters. Don't forget to uh, drop me a line and come on the show and tell me about your show wherever you are in the world if you're under 20 years of age. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. I want to thank my guests, Anki van Grunsven and to David Blake and also our valued sponsors here. Don't forget to also check out our website at Horseworld Gives Back campaign. That's horseworldgivesback.com and uh, check out what we're doing there to support the equine community for those in need. As always, you can follow us on Facebook and also on Twitter at Horse Radio and Chris E. Stafford. My email, chris at horseradionetwork.com for anything that you would like to hear about or what we're doing here on the show. Love to hear from you. Don't forget our website carries all our show notes at dressageradio.com. And just quickly, I did want to mention that the Reem Accra FEI World Cup Series gets underway this weekend in Zashkiv in Ukraine. There's Odense coming up and Lyon and Sydney. So we'll try and keep you up to date with all of that. But for now, that's it from me. Thank you all for listening. I will be back at the same time, same place next week. 